Hello and a warm welcome to Armstrong Wolf's Mental Health Week webinar series. Um, for those of you who do not know me, my name is Gwen Wilcox. I am the Chief Operating Officer of Armstrong Wolf, um, the financial services CEO advisory firm, and I am also the global lead of the Women in the CEO Community Program. So um, here at Armstrong Wolf, we aim to provide thought leadership content initiate conversations amongst all chief operating officers and, and their business partners and how on how they encourage the collective forming of solutions to shared challenges within the financial services industry. Our daily events this week are slightly different to what we usually run but are of equal importance of course. So throughout the week we will bring you insights from mental health professionals and mental health advocates with the aim of helping you to manage both your own and your team's well-being. We strongly believe that the mental health topic is one to be discussed beyond this week, of course, or maybe this month, as our colleagues in the US have a month-long awareness campaign, and I think it's been running since uh, 1949, um, by the Mental Health America charity. Here in the UK, this week is organised by the Mental Health Foundation. These activities are designed to encourage people to talk about the mental health, about mental health. Um, and mental health, what is mental health? But it is um, bringing us um, together um, and bringing more awareness about how we think, feel, and obviously behave. So thank you all for attending this session. I'm delighted you have joined us. Uh, please take this opportunity to ask questions at any time. Use the chat facility if you can, uh, if it's allowed at the bottom of your screen. Please don't hesitate to speak, to speak up. Um, also, if you want to voice your question, but please do take opportunities of having these wonderful speakers here today and ask questions if you wish to. So we had a fantastic session yesterday with Mental Health First Aid England on stress on stress, um, and how to acknowledge and manage triggers. If you missed this one and would like to receive the recording, please get in touch and send it to you. So today we want to focus on mental health in the workplace through a people-centric lens and learn just how important looking after yourself is and the impact that this has on productivity and obviously retention of staff. So not only is it important to talk about it, but it is also important to discuss what actions we can all take to make a difference to yourself and to others around you. So I am delighted to welcome four extremely passionate individuals to today's webinar who are championing the efforts to address and support mental health in the workplace. It is my pleasure to start the introductions with Poppy, Poppy Jamin, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Hi everyone. Hi. Thank you very much for the opportunity to be here today. Um, I'm Poppy Jaman. I'm the Chief Executive of um, the City Mental Health Alliance. I was in fact the CEO, the founding CEO of Mental Health First Aid. So it's really good to um, know that you've already had a session by that organization. The work that they do uh, continues to be groundbreaking in educating people. Um, but my organization is, we are a global organization. We're in UK, Hong Kong, Singapore, Australia, developing chapters in US, India, New Zealand, and Portugal. And our vision is to create mentally healthy workplaces and inspire health creation. So how does work create a culture that fosters mental health, well-being, belonging, inclusion, so that we can all um, flourish. That is uh, an extremely uh, 
ambitious and I guess challenging context, particularly in the backdrop of the pandemic. So um, delighted here to be here for this discussion. Thank you. And thank you, Poppy, for joining us. Um, I pass on to Claire, Claire McLennan. Afternoon, Welcome. everyone. I'm Claire McLennan and I'm here because I am currently the chair of the mental health group at Bailey Gifford, the investment manager. Uh, it's not part of my line responsibilities day to day whatsoever. I'm actually a lawyer and joint head of our, our contracts and IMA's team covering global business and the legal function. But I have been a member of our mental health group since inception. It was founded in, in had to look up the dates, June 2017 and stepped into the chair in September 2018. So I have some live experience of trying to drive change in the conversation as that as Poppy was talking about there, changing the conversation around mental health in the workplace and normalise and destigmatize. That's wonderful to have you. Thank you very much, Claire, for attending. Uh, Jacqueline, welcome. Thanks, Claire, and thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Um, I am here for a slightly different spin on things. I am here as an individual in financial services who has personally been on the journey of mental health from awareness to identification through to recovery. And I am so excited, I'm going to steal Claire's word, to destigmatize that process because that 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 awareness and that freeing of being able to identify and get the help and make the corrective actions is so important. So I'm so excited to share that journey with you and looking forward to a great hour with a great panel. Great to have you. And last but obviously survey, not least, John Livar. Welcome, John. Thank you, Gwen. I'm sure I am least amongst this great company, actually, to be honest, but anyway. Uh, so um, uh, delighted to be with everybody. Good afternoon or good morning. Uh, I'm John Livar. I'm a partner at EY, the accounting and consulting firm. Uh, I lead our regulatory uh, team. Uh, and I also uh, am one of the partner sponsors for our financial services mental health community uh, at EY. Uh, and I'm also a trustee of one of the large mental health uh, mental illness charities, which is called Rethink uh, Mental uh, Illness. And I guess um, got involved in this space uh, because of, uh, first of all, some, some uh, personal friends, uh, who uh, one of whom ended up dying by suicide. Uh, and uh, and then I guess a lot of things, particularly in the younger generation, from me at least, possibly not from everybody on the phone, um, where it seemed to me that there was a, you know, we're talking about pandemic, but there seemed to me to be a just a huge uh, explosion in mental health problems in the community, um, in both in the workplace and more broadly. Uh, and I felt that I would like to do something to help. So that's why I got involved in it. Uh, and uh, and indeed, it seems to be a topic that has caught uh, lots of people's attention, rightly, I think, in the last couple of years. Uh, and great to be part of this discussion to see how we can help move things forward. Thanks, Mark. Thank you, John. So thank you all. I, I'm very excited to hear from all of you. But um, first, I'd like to hand over to Poppy, um, if that's OK, to tell us a little bit more about the work that City Mental Health Alliance is doing. Poppy, um, over to you. Thank you. Um, look, so let me just start by setting a little bit of a big picture context. It will be no surprise to everybody on this call that mental health in the last five years has has risen to a priority area. But it may be a surprise to some people to know that actually businesses that I'm working with 
with or we're working with have gone as far as to put mental health and well-being of their people on the risk register on the boardroom agenda with mitigating actions and um, resources and that's that's incredible because when I started out on this journey of creating mentally healthy workplaces probably you know, 16, 17 years ago when I was leading mental health first aid, we were struggling to just convince uh, employers that line managers should be trained in having a mentally healthy conversation, recognizing early warning signs and being able to adopt a preventative approach in the workplace. So to come this far, on this journey is incredible and the pandemic has done horrendous stuff to society worldwide and continues to do so but actually when you think about the one or two you know the few silver linings I would say that it has raised the profile of mental health every single one of us have heard our bosses, our CEOs, our chairs, regardless of the position of um, seniority in our in our businesses, ask the question, how are you? And genuinely listen to those responses and react and respond to that in with compassion over over the last year in the UK. And that I guess is the crux of or the heart of what it is that we're trying to create and we're trying to foster a culture of well-being foster a culture of compassion encourage people to have compassionate dialogue and by compassionate dialogue i mean from moving i guess you know moving from empathy to action and john just said it there you know it is you know, he was moved by some of the things that had happened in his life around him in order to then take steps into into working in this space, getting involved with the charity sector and actually moving the dial forward. People like me that have been ambassadors for mental health are expected to talk about this. When, But when people like John and my other panel colleagues actually, you know, speak about this and it's not their day job, uh, those around us listen. And I guess that's the invitation to everybody here today is we are trying to take mental health out of the healthcare system. So out of the NHS in this country where people are go for treatment and into prevention and into day to day. So are we talking about this around our kitchen table with our kids Are we talking about it at our team meetings and recognizing the multiple accumulative stresses that we ourselves and our team members have experienced over the last decade? And I was speaking to colleagues yesterday who a bit massive investment bank who who have got services uh, and a huge team in India. And, you know, in one particular team they'd lost five people to covid in the in on monday alone and actually what we were discussing is how do we ensure that the bereavement and the trauma related discussions that we had in the uk eight months ago how can we translate that and provide that as a conversation as support as resources to colleagues in india what the pandemic has done is made sure that we have got a big a more aware social conscience 
Black Lives Matter movement created an enormous triggering effect on people that are from black and brown communities, including myself. And then it was about working out what I can do to move from solidarity statements to actual practical changes in the way that I lead to include my black colleagues to make sure that the services that the businesses that I'm working with are providing, if they've got employee assistant programs, for example, it is appropriate and relevant for those people that have experienced racism. And imagine a day when you're experiencing racism, you may also have experienced bereavement or some kind of trauma directly related to the pandemic. On top of that, you might have been homeschooling and on top of that, you might be living in a very small place. So actually your office was your home. That was the reality for some people over the last year. And I guess that's why mental health is on the boardroom agenda. I'm just going to share a couple of statistics, Gwen, and then I'm going to stop. But the thing that I wanted to say was 80, this is a UK statistic, and I know that everybody here isn't from the UK, but eight, more than 80,000 more young people under 18s were referred to the NHS between April and December 2020 compared to 2019. That's 28% more young people that needed mental health support. And out of that, 20% needed emergency care. And I guess I really wanted to share that as a data point because that's our children. And that's my nieces and nephews. That's my friends' kids. And actually, that's my colleagues' children. And if we as parents are experiencing challenges and struggles with taking care of our young people, then we ourselves are going to have uh, mental health struggles at work. And that's where there is a huge opportunity for workplaces to provide education, to provide support, and I guess... Um, create a space where we can let off a bit of steam and it's not adding to our stresses. Because the other statistic is that in the middle of the pandemic last year, June last year, normally there's one in 10 people who experience adults, this is moderate to severe depression in the UK. But that rose to one in five. So that rose to double. Um, and we need to pay attention to that because if our people are not well, then our businesses will not be prospering and forward thinking businesses are making sure that they are thinking about this. So I'll stop there. Thank you. Well, thank you for this positioning statement, Poppy. Um, so, John, I'd like to bring you in the conversation to understand what you're doing at, as a trustee of Rethink Mental Illness, the charity that you're a trustee in, and also as an EY representative. Um, would love to find out, I think the audience would also like to find out how EY promote the well-being of current, current staff and how this transpire in some of the client work that perhaps you're doing as well. Sure. Okay. Thank you. Um, and uh, to just to pick up on those stats from Poppy, I mean, I think the, the experience that we have both at EY in terms of people who are accessing our various um, support um, that is available for people and definitely the uh, the uh, helplines at, at, uh, at Rethink Mental Illness would reflect that absolutely. I mean, there's just been a huge volume increase of people um, getting uh, looking for help and support. And I suppose, um, you know, from an EY perspective, I think that's a good thing because it shows that they can do that and they feel confident to do it. So, you know, I'm sort of pleased that people are doing that. Um, 
from a rethink perspective so let me maybe just talk about that um for a second so rethink is a charity that does a variety of things it provides direct services um to help people in crisis or coming from crisis back into the community uh it campaigns and works with government um to uh, improve mental health policies and outcomes um for people uh and it provides advice guidance help to people with mental illness or their carers uh and uh, and actually potentially four things it, it also increasingly now acts as a sort of a connector uh amongst different social services um so that people who are you know in difficulty or vulnerability for one reason they you know, might be able to access help and support from others across the community care field when they need it and and all of those things have been in massive demand um this year not surprisingly those people have worried about their finances they worried about their health position um they worried about whether the uh, previous patterns of care and help and support networks that they had will really sustain through the the pandemic and of course some of them have and some of them haven't for obvious reasons um there's people with money uh, uh problems uh, and uh, the charity has, has uh, a mental health uh, money advice service which has been helping there and is now also helping uh with the breathing space uh um initiative under which people will get time to you know to where their debts are sort of frozen for a while whilst they work them through and that the money money and mental health uh, advice service is playing a key role in that so it's been a very busy year also helping with training uh in organizations as you know they have um picked up on this trend uh, and sought uh, assistance on what to do so you know key key player at a, at an important time and and we're certainly you know trying to push that uh positioning forward for the charity working with others like mind and and uh, you know and, and poppy's charity and others that that you know to make sure that this gets the right profile and and the right attention and that it sustains beyond this current crisis into the way that we think about mental health and mental illness uh, in future yeah. uh, i guess that he why um i mean so the emergence of our community i mean actually i think our mental health community started in like 2012 2013 um but has um you know it's really become a top issue for our senior management and i think you know all the communications that we've had with our people over the past year um you know their well-being and mental health has been a key focus of that uh, and even if it hasn't been the direct topic of the particular communication you know emails have always had the kind of you know your contacts and the various things you can do to get support um attached to them so that people are aware of that uh, and i think we have had you know we've had a, a i think the last year has taught us a number of things the living space point that poppy raised is important um you know people who are senior in organizations you know people like me i've got a nice study in a nice house with a nice garden space and i'm you know i can go for a walk in nature kind of you know um two minutes away from my front door that's not true for 80% of our staff who are 27 or younger uh and living in shared flats and things um and we need to and, and making sure that our senior people are appropriately attuned to that um has been uh, i'm mean, not a challenge actually but a really important part of making sure that you know we are we are recognizing the needs of our uh people um encouraging them to do things like you know to 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 um to disconnect to do the nature thing to do exercise 
um, to make sure that they're not using the time that they're all the time that they don't have commuting just working and actually most of them are so the productivity question is an interesting one we've had an increase in productivity in our business as I think many of our clients have because people are using the time that they used to have to travel and do less formal things just working uh, and of course that creates a burnout problem as well so we're seeing you know we're seeing all of those things um, coming uh, into play uh, we have definitely had a big issue around connecting across our different networks across the firm and a big positive help, uh, issue actually there from a uh, the point of view of our mental health community so poppy touched on a couple of these but you know at the time of the black lives matter movement got going and the murder of george floyd we had an absolute outburst of emotion from our black colleagues for entirely appropriate and right reasons uh one of my proudest moments actually in the firm last year was that the mental health community got a special award from our race and ethnicity network because we were there for them no other no other reason we were just there we listened we were sympathetic we were empathetic we helped them get their voice heard uh, amongst the firm when they you know which clearly resulted in a whole bunch of commitments from our management to deal with uh, to deal with the issues that uh, of racism that our black colleagues have faced um, we've had cult broader cultural issues so those questions that we all had about you know the press here being massively uh, interested and um, you know exercised about lockdowns coming at the time of um, UK white Christian festivals, but not really paying much attention to, uh, you know, to Eid or to people who had, you know, Diwali or other things cancelled uh, at short notice or no notice at all. So those sorts of issues and helping people to kind of um, express their feelings about that was was a really important part of last year. The stigma thing, I just want to touch on that. So we touched on it a bit at, at the start. I do think, you know, we spent a lot of time over the last two or three years stressing the message that it is okay not to be okay at ey and that's you know that's a really important message and we did some partner training um, actually just before the pandemic we did a session we had a former partner who had been you know whisked off to the priory um uh with you know with with it in crisis come and talk to us about what they had learned and how they were you know felt self-care was important and how it was important to talk about things uh, I would say after that meeting, we had, I think we had about 120 partners um, turn up from the London financial services business, which is probably like three quarters of the partners. Um, and, you know, I had about half a dozen of them come up to me specifically after that saying, you know, actually opening up about their personal experiences and saying, you know, this is the first time I felt able to do that. Um, despite all the things that the firm has had in place. So some, it's really important that people can can do that and helps them then to connect with their people. And we train down the tree uh, through our, our counsellors and our management teams, make sure they have appropriate mental health, mental illness training so that they can not just help people deal with crises and signpost them to help when they've had a problem, but also help prevent, as Poppy was saying. That's an absolutely critical uh, aspect of it. So lots of things to talk about, um, but uh, anyway, that maybe is a, as a, as a kickoff. I think that's great, and thank you very much for sharing um, for sharing this, John. Um, I'll go on to Claire. Um, so Claire um, is the chair of the mental health group at Bing Gifford, uh, an asset management firm. Um, I I am interested in the, the the key themes of your internal wellbeing program, if you don't mind sharing. I'd love to know how this supports your uh, retention. Obviously, an acquisition of staff, perhaps. 
So it's probably worth saying that we don't think about it on a retention and acquisition perspective at all. I think there's a byproduct of that, which is that by being a really nice place to work with really nice people, which it is, people come, they stay, and people are attracted to it. Um, but we came at this very much from what can we do to support our staff? How can we make this better? How can we make this a kind place to work? And I, and I guess if you were going to take themes that that are at the heart of our programme, it is about kindness and compassion. That said, that's really easy and a nebulous theme to give you all to talk about. You actually need to have some action. And so what we did was we sat down right at the beginning and we were very fortunate because we had a relatively senior team of people who were volunteering their time onto our mental health group. And I cannot emphasise enough how much that helps deliver change. It has to come from the top. You need leaders to stand up and say, this is a priority. And you need leaders and people who make decisions to drive change through or else you'll get nowhere and you'll talk a lot and you'll have no outputs. So we were really fortunate. We had we had some brilliant leadership coming from the others on the mental health group helping. Um, and what we did was we split ourselves, we treated like, like a project. So lots of people in this call will immediately say, ah, I can form a project. Um, and we split ourselves up into work streams and he said, what are we going to attack? Uh, and so we had three work streams really, um, an awareness subgroup who really focused on destigmatization, on building awareness. And, and we were so fortunate because one of our partners was the first person to stand up and talk about his mental ill health and broadcast that to the whole firm. And, and that's game changing in any organization that hasn't had personal storytelling. Nothing in my experience works as well as the person who stands up and says, and I'm going to go further and say the leader who stands up and says, the person who says, look at me, I have had mental ill health and I am still a successful individual. This is not weakness, it's illness. This does not blight and have to shape the course of your life. You can you can get help, you can recover, you can go on, you can progress and you can do that in this organisation because we are not going to start putting perceptions on you around the fact that you happen to have been ill. So that, for me, that's that's game changing. And if you haven't done it in your organisation, that's what I would really encourage. So that was our awareness subgroup. And we made films, but only for internal because we didn't want to make it a really big external song and dance. So we had lots of people talk about mental ill health, did a lot of work in that space. Um, then we had another. I'm a lawyer. So funnily enough, they ended up putting me in policies and training, which will astonish no one. Love writing a policy. So, so, so we reframed all of our policies and principles and really baked into the way we deal with HR matters. And our HR team were fully supportive and on board with all of this change. And we're part of the group. So we dealt with policies and training. We trained leaders. We trained managers. We trained mental health supporters. We really tried to drive the agenda so that we were baking mental health in to who we are at work. And that's an ongoing process. We're not there. I wouldn't ever say any organisation that thinks they're there has probably missed something. We all have to just keep working on it. Um, and then the final strand that we had was well-being. And we kept that separate quite intentionally at the beginning because we didn't want to dilute the conversation on mental ill health by saying, we're going to wrap it up in a banner and say, you can yoga your way out of mental ill health. There are lots and lots of tools and strategies that people can, and use, can use and should use to manage and be self-aware. 
But if you've got diabetes, somebody's not going to turn around and tell you to go and do some exercise and you'll feel better. They're going to say you need medication. It's no different with some mental illness. So I'm really reinforcing those messages about managing your mental Ill health, but accepting that it is also illness was very important to us. So those were our three work streams. And that was what drove all of the change that we've been working on through our organisation and which we continue to work on and will continue to work on. And how long has this been um, in place, Claire? Has it been has it been set up at Bailey Gifford for a while? So we started off in 2017 and, and we've put that in place in that time frame. And one of the proudest things, one of the proudest moments, I think, for those of us in the mental health group was seeing the response to this pandemic when it bit. Um, the first thing that our senior leaders were seeing were, were, was not, uh, what are we delivering? It was, are our people okay? And right through the messaging from the top down was that understanding of mental health and well-being and how we look after our staff. It's ongoing. I, I optimistically said when I took on this year, this is a five-year plan. We're not going to be needed in five years. That's our aspiration. We need to get to a point where we don't need a mental health group because we don't have a physical health group. So why would we have a mental health group? Clearly, we're, we're four years in and I'm not holding myself to that target. But but you have to set yourself some targets, I think, to try and normalise the conversation. And I, and the hope has to be that one day we don't need a mental health group. We should just have health. That's right. And I think you nailed this. You nailed this with saying this needs to be normalised. And, and and with this, I'm going to go to Jacqueline. Um, so Jacqueline, you're joining us to talk about your own personal experience. And, and for this, I'd like to thank you very much. Um, would you like to share the steps you've taken to identify your challenges with mental health and your journey to date, perhaps, and how you are currently managing? Great. Yes, happy to. So I'm trying to simplify it as much as possible because this is a topic that clearly is near and dear to my heart and I could talk about for the entire time. But um, I, I think that if we look at it from the three A's being, and some of them have actually already been talked about today, but with step one being that awareness, what is mental health? And more importantly, what is it not? For me, it was very important not to think about it as the most severe form. Yes, there are cases of that, but for me, it was more, and actually I pulled up the definition because I think it's really important and something I constantly remind myself is it's defined as a person's condition with regard to their psychological and emotional well-being. And I think that's very important because while there are those severe cases we've talked about, there is also just the the less severe cases, which are the, the buildup. And for me, mine might have been that less severe case, burnout, overacting, stress. But the, the more we let it fester, the more we let it go, we find ourselves in a position that, that it's harder to come back from. So I think that awareness is really important. That then leads to the second phase for me, or the second A, which is acceptance. And we talked about destigmatizing. We talked about that normalizing their story about the storytelling. I think all of that is so important. This acceptance that I have a problem, I have an opportunity to change was really, really hard. I never thought I had an issue. Actually, and some folks on this poll will know, I ran the DNI committee at my former employer, and mental health was a big part of that. And even at that time, I didn't know I didn't know. It was just so common to just go on. I kind of said I was on a treadmill and I was running, and I just kept running without lifting my head up. So that's um, 
acceptance that things needed to change, I needed to change, that they could be better was fundamental. And then last but not least, and I say not least because this is where the most of my journey really starts, was action. And for me, once I had my aha moment, and I'll very quickly say my aha moment came through an exercise with an executive coach. And I was with that executive coach, not because of mental health. I was with that executive coach because of career development, leadership, what I always did, trying to be better at what I did, which was work. And we did an exercise called the negative internal dialogue exercise. And if you haven't done this, I highly encourage you to do it. But he asked me two simple questions. One, what are the negative thoughts in your head? And I was like, and I just started writing without even realizing I had a paper a, a full length long. And the second question is, what do they all have in common? And that for me was my aha moment because every single one of them, which I didn't know was they started with I. And then it was that clarification of who's told you that. And I didn't realize, but I was my own worst critic, that Debbie Downer, that that negative self-talk, whatever you want to call it, had overtaken my my everything. And that was really my my aha moment. And from then I went home that day and I started a blog and that blog was 52 weeks of me. And the reason for sharing that is it's not. Um, of course, you can go and read it, but I knew I couldn't do everything at once. I knew I had to crawl, walk, run. And 52 Weeks of Me was around acting or applying a single act of self-care every week for 52 weeks. And that was how my journey began. And what originally started as a time management activity is I'm going to put my own oxygen mask on. I'm going to make time for myself turned out to be a mental health exercise, the mindset and that ability to take control instead of trying to blame or to force. We talked about taking pills earlier. For me, you know, I always look at it as if you have a cold or a cough, you're not going to give the medicine to someone else. I know this is about organizations, but the organization can't take the medicine for you. You have to take the medicine for yourself. And I think that's the kind of the point I want to leave you with is that for all your organizations that do have programs, those programs simply being there are not enough. You need to go and attend the classes. You need to apply the actions. You need to take that accountability to make it real. That's really where we get from, from they say, you know, um, action speaks louder than words. That's where the action comes. So for me, those simple micro steps of changing and just to give you some of the themes, but ask for help. It's okay not to be okay, as we talked about. Be vulnerable. Uh, these are all parts of my journey back. And what I'll leave you with is, I think I'm in week 60, I don't even know. But I've never been better. I've never felt better. That ability to step off that treadmill. I was working 80 plus hours a week. I was on a plane and in a hotel 15 plus days a month. Now, yes, COVID did help with that. But I'll never go back to that old being that we need to redefine productivity in this post-pandemic world, especially where we have this opportunity for psychological we have to create environments where we're okay saying not only are we not okay, 
but that there is an opportunity to work smarter, not harder. The concept of the first one in, last one out, as the new generation comes in, all those things, I challenge everyone from themselves and organizations to change, to create an opportunity where we can be our best self. And more importantly, we can put emphasis on individuals' mental health, which is that psychological and emotional well-being, because it does, it will make you better. Why they say on the plane, put your own oxygen mask on first. So that's just a little bit into to me, my journey, the three A's. I really hope that we come away from this with a more acceptance and an understanding that mental health is not a bad thing, or as Clara said, is it's it's an illness, but it really is an opportunity to be better. Um, so look forward to the rest of the conversation. Thank you, Jacqueline, for for bringing this up. And um, so so look. And thank you for sharing your story as well. So lots of research has found that, um, yes, the highest performing workplaces are supportive and inclusive. I wanted to ask any of you, what effect do ERGs have on productivity? Me, Jacqueline, Sure, happy to. And I talked a little bit about this earlier, is that the the simply being is not the important, it's the it's the action. And ERGs create for me a community and a space. And that's why I think people do better when they're with people or around people where they're able to share a common passion. I know for me, one of the things I've personally have done is taken my blog and moved it to a podcast. And I find ERGs are the exact same way. It's an opportunity to feel comfortable, to feel safe. I mentioned psychological safety before, where you can talk to like-minded or like um, individuals who want to hear what you have to say, who are going through the same thing, and more importantly, are with you on that journey to take action. So from an employee perspective or an individual perspective, I highly encourage attending the, e the ERG sessions. And I also will leave you with one thing, is that if you ever feel as if you don't have enough time, make the time. Our number one assets are in self and there's never going to be more time, but we simply have to prioritize the time that we do have and being able to talk about and share space on a topic that's near and dear to your heart or can help you be more mentally fit, the better. Thank you for this. John, do you, what effects do, you, do ERGs have on productivity at EY? Yeah, well, I, I think the, I mean, to, just to, without repeating what, what Jacqueline said, um, maybe just to pick up a, a couple of points. So I think, I mean, I think they are, and, and also the productivity angle, I think is interesting because the, the partner session we talked about, and just to reflect a bit what Claire said, you know, we thought this is a bunch of partners. Okay, they'll listen to the story, but they're really going to talk about, you know, as missed through illness and, you know, what difference does that make to our, you know, income. Um, so we had about five minutes of the, whatever it was, hour and a half session that was on that. And um, and of the questions at the end or the dialogue at the end, one of the themes on it was just don't go there. Just, it's just not relevant to this conversation. This is a conversation about us being the right leaders for our people uh, and for our people feeling that they can be comfortable at work and do what they want to do and be open about their issues. So you know, don't don't put the commercial spin on it. It's just not you know relevant to this conversation. So um, So we haven't done a big, you know, does it help productivity? It is clear that we have the communities, people join them. Uh, we have a thing that we run every couple of weeks called Rays of Sunshine, which is 
you know, just people who want to come and talk. And it's not all sunshine, believe you me. Sometimes it's rain and storm. <laughs> Uh, but it's, you know, it is people who can just come and talk about their experience uh, and, um, you know, and how they're feeling. Um, and then some of that then goes into some of it is just sharing uh, and some of it goes into actions. And I think, you know, as we move into the next phase of this discussion, I think there's quite a lot of that at the moment that's around sentiment on, on returning to the office and kind of, you know, new working environments that Jacqueline just um, touched on and I think you know the COO community has a massive um, opportunity really to, to to play a huge role in making that successful for, for people um, so using we use we use the output of those sessions from a as I say to help you know our leadership make sure that they are taking action where it's appropriate but more importantly it is the fact that they feel that they can talk that they share that, that people are listened to and as I talk as I mentioned earlier that people from other communities, not just the mental health community, feel that they have, you know, there is space in the firm for them to do that. Indeed. I was listening to Megan Butler from the Financial Conduct Authority a, a, a month ago, and she was really stressing the point of bringing your whole self to work, which is yeah. slightly different for, um, for, for people who have been institutionalised for quite some time and have been working for quite some time, where being back 15, 20 years ago, work was work and then home you know you left your your personal things at home and now we are encouraged to bring our whole self to work which is which is which is amazing but it's also um we, we, are we equipped for this I, I i don't know as leaders um it's slightly different to hear that you have to bring your whole self to work without necessarily knowing um how to how to manage it if someone actually does bring him or herself to work um, so I wanted to ask that question to you, Poppy. Um, how do we normalise these conversations? Um, how do we help leaders? How do we help everyone to um, proactively help one another um, and then help the leaders who are obviously managing staff? Um, back to Jacqueline's point, how do we help each, help, help one oneself um, to encourage talking about mental health? What, how would you, how would you normalise this? Yeah, absolutely. So, look, there are. Uh, we've already talked about leadership, and and this can't happen without leadership. Claire made that point. You know, after listening to you, Claire, I mean, a minute ago, I was even more convinced that actually this is just. You know, you cannot do it without without setting the culture and the tone from from the top, where you're saying. You know, this is this is a priority. And I love the way that you describe baking it into the culture of the organization. So I would say one of we have three pillars that we talk about. The first and they're the three S's. The first is socialize the agenda, socialize mental health conversation into your workplace through campaigns. So the PwC uh, uh, created the Green Ribbon campaign, for example, which is now being used all over the world, not just by PwC, but lots of other organizations. So if you look up the Green Ribbon campaign, it's a very simple campaign. We then built the This, this Is Me campaign, which came out of Barclays, which again was adopted up and down the country on how to tell stories in a very positive way and making sure that mental health is just one component of somebody's mental 
ill health is just one component of somebody's life. So those are two campaigns that I point to, legal and general, actually, they're not a red card campaign. So socialising the agenda through creating an 18-month to three-year campaign where you are speaking about mental health and well-being on a regular basis, so it's not just happening on Mental Health Awareness Week or World Mental Health Day. It is a long-term cultural change that you're creating, and that requires a long-term, a medium to long-term strategy, as Claire put it. The second S is about skilling up the organization and you know we've already mentioned mental health first aid there's that's just one of many examples alan and overy have got a three-hour online line managers training that they've developed internally so lots of businesses that have been doing this for some time and i've put a link up around the case studies on our website that speaks to lots of these uh, examples so skilling up and as john said you know actually the board level and executive level skilling up all the way to your support, uh, you know, EAs and your support staff, your administrators, actually doing some focused mental health training on unhealthy perfectionism with the younger generation is really crucial. So not just blanket mental health awareness training, really focused and targeted to the design of that cohort and that group. Women's health, and we're seeing women's uh, inequality being reset as a result of the pandemic. And that's going to have a huge impact on women at different points in their careers. So actually focusing on skilling up ourselves in a way that is relevant to us at this point and being able to have a conversation and the third one is sustaining that change and that speaks to making it a boardroom agenda making sure that there is accountability what is it that you're measuring how do you know you're making progress so those are the three pillars of a really great mental health strategy the city mental health alliance does something called the Thriving at Work assessment on all of our members. We then give them their individualized report. And actually, the senior sponsor from PwC said to me last year, you know, without the Thriving at Work assessment guiding their mental health and well-being strategy, they would not have been able to respond in the way that they had to their colleagues in in the peak of the pandemic. And, And the Bank of England gave the same feedback. So I would say take a 18 months to three year minimum approach and apply those three pillars, socialize, skill up, sustain. Thank you. Um, my last question for you, because we've got a few minutes left and I have a question for you, Claire. Um, do we need to look, so you know, we have, when we go to, when we are in the workplace and we are encouraging people to take our first aid uh, certification, do you think we should include um, mental health first aid certification as part of the um, um, employee benefits or opportunities? So I would say mental health first aid is, is quite different from physical first aid and it's not necessarily the same people that are going to want to do it. Um, I absolutely cannot speak highly enough of having a, a mental health first aider or mental health supporter as we call them programme. Um, what it does, as well as all the other fringe benefits that it brings in terms of normalising the conversation and having more people talking about mental ill health, is it gives colleagues space, safe spaces to talk to someone and be signposted on to where they can get help. And it's been 
quite game changing for us. We've got a brilliant network of mental health supporters who are there talking to colleagues who are struggling and who've been given training. And a lot of the training is actually teaching you not to fix, teaching you how to listen, teaching you to sit back and hear someone. And sometimes you'll have a mental health conversation with someone where you will signpost them on and they'll be struggling and, and they would they will end up going to speak to your employee assistance program and get help that way. Sometimes you'll have a conversation with someone who says, I don't need any more. I just really appreciate being heard and I feel better for having had someone to talk to. So 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 a real focus, I think, on upskilling people so that they are happy to have those conversations. Because a conversation about someone who's with someone who's struggling and about mental ill health is quite a scary conversation to have if you've never had it before. And and actually asking some difficult questions, which you have to be prepared to do if you think someone's struggling, takes courage. So I would never expect someone to walk in and start being a mental health first aider or supporter without some training, without some support and without a lot of focus on the boundary of their responsibility. And it comes back exactly to what, what Jacqueline said around, don't take away people's agency. Someone who's struggling with mental ill health is still a person who can make their own decisions and has responsibility for taking some action themselves. They just might need a bit of help, even if that's them coming to you and saying, I need some help, I can't even pick up the phone and you saying, let me make you an appointment. Do you want me to come with you to get you there? Just to make sure that that person can get to the help they need and then you step back. And that's actually a really important part of the training as well because because for mental health supporters, it's a lot of responsibility you're asking people to take on at work and they have to have safety in that role too. But but it's I think it's a really important component for organisations to have. Thank you. John, do you have a view on this? Um, only to agree. I mean, I think that whole, you'll never get it. You might not get it catalyzed properly without the top of the organization setting culture and setting priorities but you'll never embed it unless you have got it across the whole you know across all levels and i think um somewhere in the middle is where the challenge lies actually because most most of your people of course recognize the importance of this and and actually looking both to have the freedom and also to help um so um you know but but somewhere in the middle of making sure that as claire said you've actually got processes and um, procedures in place that can facilitate that rather than block it uh, and that people understand what they can do and what they shouldn't do uh, I think is is really important and I think also that you know that you're seen to be listening um, I think the feedback loops are important to organizationally as well so just being there to listen is helpful but but the act point at the end I think is uh, is also critical and saying you know we've heard what people are saying we you know we're taking uh, action uh, across it is 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 going to be a critical thing and i do think this recognizing that that um mental challenges can be posed by a whole host of things uh, is also important so i mean the, the sort of intersection between our mental health community and all of our various other communities is absolutely critical um, I think so for example we have a we have one of our one of the various sessions that we're running this week is specifically on on menopause for example um, which is the first time that's have had that sort of an airing at EY I think um, and you know do we actually understand you know how how people um, 
feel when they're in menopause and how we manage the fact that they may not be behaving in the same way as they were before and all of those things. So, you know, these are these are challenges that just wouldn't have been spoken about five years ago, probably generally in most places. They're now, you know, it's now form of part of our, you know, key discussion groups this week. So, you know, I think it's just it's 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 slow slow progress probably, but progress nonetheless and we just need to keep up the work. Indeed, keep up the good work. And, and Jacqueline, we'll, we'll conclude in a moment, but Jacqueline, have you had um, many people coming to you on the back of you um, openly um, uh, marketing and obviously circulating content about the 52 weeks of May? Have you had more, more and more people coming to you, maybe looking for help and support or maybe guidance? Absolutely. It's amazing what level of safety or comfort people can feel and get when you share. Um, I've had people say just simple from everything from thank you to how did you do it to can you help me. It has really been a full gamut and that again is part of the reason why I've shifted from the blog which was all about me to this podcast which is around building a community and now we've recorded 20 plus episodes and even that has been, I'm actually getting more benefit by creating the community, similar to what we talked about the ERGs, is listening to other people's stories. We're constantly learning, we're constantly hearing, and that just, that joy that comes from having that space and that community for people to be vulnerable and to be open has been the greatest gift ever. So, so yes is the answer. People have come. I encourage people to continue to come, whether it's to me or someone else they feel comfortable with, but just creating that space that it's okay, that we should have these conversations. And the first step is that um, acceptance is, is, is key. Thank you. Um, and then Poppy, before we conclude, would you like to share or would you like to maybe suggest a few actions for everyone on the call for them to check their mental health, what to do, where to go, uh, who to go to? Um, what would you like, to, what would you like to suggest to everyone on the call to do? Yeah, um, Jacqueline, I just want to say, you know, your work is amazing and peer to peer support is one of the number one protective factors for our mental health and well-being. So what you're doing by putting out your story and then the tools and techniques and developing a community is giving people permission to participate and go on that journey. So, you know, thank you. Um, look, I, I think there's the, the what I'd like to leave the group with is thinking about our own mental health. And I say to everybody that will listen to me, um, develop your own stress signature and develop your own well-being toolkit. And when you do that for yourself, you will also be able to apply that and give that back to your, your family, your colleagues, and then have a wider societal impact. And what I mean by stress signature is that we all have a unique set of um set of behaviors emotions and physical presentation of stress and i'll give you a very quick example i get headaches i jaw clench physically i lose sleep i my eating habits change significantly i eat less i um i'm irritable i micromanage i start to trust and doubt i have so these are my 
stress signature and my early warning signs. So I have that written somewhere and I share that with my family. It lives on the fridge in my kitchen and I share that with my work colleagues. And on the flip side of the same document, I create a well-being toolkit. And for me, that is about reaching out and connecting with specific friends for specific issues. Um, it's about yoga. It's about walking in green space. So and when we're stressed, we struggle to make decisions quickly. And that's why the stress signature and well-being toolkit go together. Because when you can identify two or three things that are on your stress signature that are playing out, you can do one thing from your well-being toolkit that will immediately make you feel better. And that is how we build resilience. Resilience isn't a personality trait. It's actually a muscle that we build. And so I'd like to leave everybody with that is make a list, start today, stress signature, well-being toolkit, and put it into practice and build it through your lifetime. Because if we can look after ourselves, we'll be able to look after and share that with other people. And prevention is key. On these wise words, thank you very much, Poppy. Thank you, Claire. Thank you, John. And thank you, Jacqueline, for joining us. And thank you all for joining this session. I hope you found this very valuable. Um, if you have any questions at all, uh, by all means, please do get in touch. The recording will be available for you, um, for you to pass on to your colleagues and friends also. Thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of the day. Goodbye.